They wanted to do operations and shave bones and remove them and put in pins. And my parents said, whoa, whoa, it's okay. He could be a swimmer. So I got in the water and started swimming competitively when I was six years old. And since then, really, I have never spent much time running around. Because when I do, my ankles hurt. They just, they just hurt. They, they throb. It's like there's a lot of pain involved. And there's a lot of insecurity that I have uh, growing up in that way. Just, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I had ankle braces on. And, and I was a little overweight. And I would get made fun of. And so this was something to be able to run 26 miles after eight hours of doing an athletic competition. I, that was something I never considered really going after and, and completing. But it was a goal in the back of my mind. It was something that I didn't really want to say until... You know, finally I said, okay, I'm going to start doing it. I got into triathlons. I started doing shorter distances. And eventually I, I tried a half Ironman. And I failed at a half Ironman. That's half the distance. Half the distances. It's a 70-mile race instead of a 140-mile race. And at 70 miles, I couldn't complete it. I failed at that distance. And so when I told people that I was going to try to do a full Ironman, people were like, are you going to be able to finish that? And I said... I don't really know. I'm not really sure if I'm going to be capable of finishing this race or not. And when they said, but didn't you try a half Ironman and fail? And I was like, I did. But I learned a lot in the process. But there was people out there even who were just my friends. They, didn't, they weren't necessarily concerned that I wouldn't be able to finish. But even for my health, I had people out there who were like saying to me, hey, Chris, you have a family you need to be worried about. And you're out there going to try to do this thing. I'm really worried about you. I mean, these are people who care about me, love me. You know, Laura Garcia was one of them. You know, and she, she was like, you know, Chris, I don't know if you should. This is like 10 days before the event. She's like, I don't know if you should do it. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. You know, there's no question. So, you know, there was a lot of insecurity in my heart because I had no clue of whether or not I was going to be able to finish that race. And in life, there's a lot of things that we are not sure that we're going to be able to accomplish or not. You know, for you, maybe there's things that you're thinking of that you would like to do that you don't know if they will ever come to fruition, but you're afraid to say them. You're afraid to do them. There's fear that's in your heart about talking about it. You know, maybe if you're single today, you're thinking about, will I ever be able to have a marriage that works? Will there ever be someone who really loves me? Maybe if you're in high school, you're like, will the university accept me when I apply there? Will I be able to be accepted into a university that I want to go to? And there's a lot of fear involved with talking about it, with verbalizing it, with verbalizing it, what you want to do and where you want to go. Maybe in your life today, you want to get a job promotion or change careers, but you're really, you, fear is holding you back from saying what it is you really want to do in life or who you really want to be in life or where you want to go. For those of us in here who are not yet Christians, who are not yet followers of Jesus, if you're here to, as a guest today, I first of all just want to say thank you for being here, and we really want to welcome you. But if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, whether you were raised in a church or raised in this church, or you're coming back to the church for the first time, oftentimes fear can drive us and say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to behave correctly or believe correctly, but there's a lot of fear involved, and a lot of us can be really immobilized by fear. And sometimes we could think, well, I'm just being realistic. Chris, I'm just being realistic. I don't think that you have the gifts. You weigh 215 pounds. You have bad ankles. I don't think you should be out there trying to run an Ironman. Some of us can feel like we're being realistic because in a, lot, a, lot, a large way, our vision is hindered by fear. Fear immobilizes us. 
But let me tell you about what vision is. When you have vision, this is what it looks like. Vision is when desire for a potential future is so strong that you, that you, the rest of the sentence is not showing, but that's okay. (laughs) It's so strong that you can no longer accept your current reality, that there's a current reality that you're living in, but you're no longer content living with what you're living in. Whether you're working a job, whether you're, you know, not going to school or you're hoping to go to school, that you're going to do whatever it takes because the desire for that potential future is so strong. Basically, to sum it up, it's you don't want to accept things as they are. You don't see things. I mean, vision, in the definition of vision is the faculty of sight. So you don't see things as they are, but as they could be. That you're, you live and you breathe and you feel in that future. And when you see the current reality, you're like, there is no way. I want to see this happen. So let me tell you about a prophet, and his name was Elijah. Basically, that was their job. Prophets did that. They did just that. They saw things as they could be. They spoke on behalf of things that were not not seen. And so that was a prophet's job, which can be a very life-threatening job when you have a leader in place like Ahab. Okay, so this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, and this, this, pro, this leader right here, this king, he was the worst. He saw it as no big deal to do the worst thing. This guy was just a straight gangster, okay? Ahab was a really intense dude, and he was set on doing wrong, okay? And Elijah was a prophet during his time. So for Elijah, his life was threatened just by trying to say the, the future or the things that could be in front of a guy like this. So this guy would want to kill him. And so during this time, there was, a, there was a drought. You know we're experiencing a drought here in California right now? You guys are aware of that, right? I found that out the other day. I realized that. But I was like, I was just loving the warm weather and the nice blue skies, but apparently it's not good, okay? So here in California, we're experiencing a drought. There was such a severe drought at that time that there was a great famine. And here in 1 Kings chapter 18, during this great famine, listen to what Elijah says to King Ahab. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there's the sound of a heavy rain. And so he's interacting with Ahab. It's blue skies. There is nothing on it. He's like, there's a sound. of it. He sees the future so clearly that God is going to bless the land. He sees it so clearly. He said he hears the sound of a heavy rain. This guy was a visionary. You're not a prophet, I'm not a prophet, but this guy had vision, and that's the way our visions need to be. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. I mean, he just got down on the ground and just put his face down on the ground in between his knees, and he just started praying to God. Go and look towards the sea, he told the servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. He said, go back and look again. Go back and look again. Go back and look again. Elijah heard the sound of a heavy rain. He saw it. He put his face in between his knees, and he was just praying to God. And he told the servant to go look for this rain. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So now, on the seventh time, there actually was a small cloud in the sky. It went from 
crystal clear blue skies to now there's actually a cloud that could be able to be seen. There's a small indication that there is a future. There's a small indication that the vision might actually have some validity, but it's not a heavy rain and it's not crazy. But he said, go now. Go right now. Go down. Hitch up your chariot before the rain stops you because the rain is going to be heavy. Sometimes there's not necessarily a clear indicator. This is a small, tiny fist. And we have to look for those things as comes to our vision. That there's small little indicators we can look to and then know that the reality is going to be. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Okay, so what he said was going to happen actually happened. The sound of a heavy rain, it was coming. The storm, it came. It went from blue skies to like a violent storm with great downfall. There's a heavy downfall of rain that started coming. And then what happens is the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and then he just booked it. He had like superpower heroes, hero power here. I don't know what that means. I don't know how he did that. He became the flash, okay? And he like booked it down. I don't know how that works, but he did that, okay? But this, this guy was a visionary. He had vision for what could be. But let me tell you what it is. The enemy of vision is not uncertainty, it's unclarity, Okay? There's times where we can have a vision of what we would like to see happen, but we don't talk about it because we're uncertain that it could actually happen. But the problem with us is not that there's uncertainty because we will always have uncertainty. There will always be fears because if you want to do anything great, if you want to change careers, if you want to go to UC Irvine, if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, there is huge uncertainties and huge fears associated with that because it's something great and it's something big and you have a vision to that. There will always be uncertainty revolved around great things that could happen in your life. But it's not that there's uncertainty. It's that there's a lack of clarity in the vision. Elijah had a clear vision of what was going to happen. He talked about it like it was a reality. The, fu the future potential reality the future potential was so strong that the current condition could no longer be. And so what we usually have without this vision, we have hopelessness. Without a vision, if you do not have a crystal clear vision in your life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this applies to you outside of the Bible, just in your life, that if you don't have a crystal clear vision of what you would like to see yourself become or where you would like to see yourself go, that's called hopelessness. Without vision, we live lives of hopelessness. So the problem is that we let fear immobilize us from the visions that we could have. And the visions we have are the things that could lead us to life change. The, the vision we have is the thing that can lead us into a place we've never been before. So that is the consequence, hopelessness of not living it out. And so many of you, who here has seen the movie Lincoln? Anybody seen that movie? All right, great. There's a lot of us who have seen it. I saw it like three times. I thought this movie was one of the best movies ever. And one of the reasons why, I mean, just this picture of this person sitting there and he's staring at the ground. 
He's staring at the ground, imagining the future the way it could be. Imagining that a world without slavery, where men are created equal. That he's sitting there thinking about that. That was not the current condition. That was not the reality that existed around him. And there was tons of uncertainty of whether or not he would be able to complete it. I love this movie. He did not know the answers to all the questions. He didn't know if all of it was going to work out later. But he created a clear pathway to the vision that he would like to see accomplished. And he was doing his best, little by little, changing the, the popular opinion, trying to work towards. He put in hard work. He didn't just hope it would happen. He put in hard work. And there was a cl- crystal clear vision that he wanted to see accomplished. He saw things not as they are, but as they could be. That was what Lincoln did. And he changed the state of our nation. The reality that you and I experience now is in a huge part because of the work that this visionary did. So inspiring. Why can't you do that? You can do that. I can do that. We can all be a part of that. We can all look at things not as they are, but as they could be. And so what I want to ask you to do here today, every one of us in here, is to create a crystal clear vision. Create a crystal clear vision for this year. Create a crystal clear vision for this huge goal that you don't even know if you're going to accomplish in five years. You're not certain about it, but you have a crystal clear vision and write it down and share it with other people. Because the enemy of vision is not uncertainty, but it's unclarity. What I want everyone here to do is to write down their vision. Maybe for you it's to study the Bible. Maybe for you, it's you're going to become a Christian sometime in the next year. Maybe for you, you're going to get engaged this year. Maybe for you, you're going to get accepted to the school. You're going to get on the team. But vision is not that we're certain that we'll make it, but it's the clarity of where we would like to be. I have a video for you guys before Mike Mead's going to come up next.
Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you guys. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you really quick and say, what's up? Wake up. All right, let me get your attention. It's great to be with you guys this morning as we start this new year. And um, I've basically been given 15 minutes to change your life this morning. So uh, no pressure, you know, I'm just going to do, do what I can do. And uh, this morning, uh, what I want to talk about is asking big. So I want to, and I've been given the, the task of talking about faith with you this morning. And I really appreciate Chris talking about vision. I thought Chris did a great job. And um, yeah, give him, why don't we give him a round of applause really quick. Yeah, so I want to talk about asking big, but I've been also asked to talk about faith. But if you want to know if somebody has faith, or if you want to know how big someone's faith is, listen to their prayer. Listen to what they pray about. Because I believe that the size of our prayers often indicate the size of our faith. And if I were to listen to your prayer, if I were to pray with you and I were to hear what you're praying about, oftentimes I could probably understand how big your faith is by what you're asking God to do in your life. And so the question that I want to talk about today as we launch this year together is this, what are you working on that is big? What are you working on that is big? And this is such an important question as we begin our year together because if you're not careful and if I'm not careful, we will just kind of go day to day, relationship to relationship, appointment to appointment, and just get so caught up in the little stuff of our lives that we never push back and we ask this question, what am I working on big? What am I working on big? And what might God want me to do big? And what might God want to do with me in my life beyond who I want to date? Right, teens? Beyond who I want to date, beyond what's going on this week or next weekend, beyond if I could pass this test, or are they going to call me back, or will this be approved, or am I going to get that job, and all that stuff. Maybe there's something bigger and greater that God wants to do that is so outside of the box in your life. And here's the deal. Some of you are going to like that question. And then there's going to be some of you that are a little bit irritated by it. You ain't going to like it. You actually don't like that question very much because this is what, what happens when you ask this question is that it forces you to look in the mirror and face the fact, I don't know, maybe I don't have anything big that I'm praying for. Yeah, maybe, maybe you've felt like this before. I'm just trying to get through this week at work. Just trying to make it through. I'm just trying to survive my work day with my employee, uh, my coworkers. Or I'm, I'm just trying to make it through the week at school. I'm just trying to survive this week. Or I'm just waiting for this call to come. Or I'm waiting for him or her to call me. But in terms of big stuff that actually matters in my life, I don't know that I'm working on anything big. And Jesus actually says it this way. If you look in Matthew 6, 31, it's up here on the screen. I'm just going to read these off so you don't have to follow along in your Bibles. But just look up here. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but Jesus is kind of making fun of you and me. He's making fun. Don't, Don't worry. Why are you worrying about these things? He goes on in verse 32. He says, for the pagans... Run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. He's going, look, 
You spend all of your time worried about who's going to be there and what I'm going to wear and will I have enough, enough to eat or will I have enough to drink or where am I going to live or what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, you just worry, worry, and worry. And you chase after all these things. I mean, people who don't even know God worry about these things. Why would you spend your life consumed with all the little stuff that eventually it's just going to take care of itself anyway? Why would you do that? Guess what? You're going to make it through your work week, whether you like it or not, right? It's going to happen anyways. Why are you going to spend all your time praying on these little things? Why would you be so caught up in that, just like people who don't even know or believe that there is a God? And he goes on. He says, but seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is saying you're focused on all the wrong things. Because guess what? These things, they're going to happen anyways. They're going to be given to you. But what are you going to focus on? He's saying this is not about you. This is about something so much bigger than you. This is about his kingdom. This is about his righteousness. Who are you trying to become? What do you want to see God do that's so much bigger than you? This is not about you. It's about something so much bigger than you. And so the question that I want to ask you this morning is what are you working on that is big? What are you praying for that is big? And when you think about your prayers this last year, if they're like most prayers, they're just kind of full of little things, right? Help me to meet this deadline. Help me to close this deal. Help me to get a date. Help me to find my keys. Help me, to, help me to find a parking spot. I'm in traffic. God, help me to get to work on time. Help me to pass this test today. Help me to do well on this presentation. And if you were to just pile up all these prayers in the year, I bet you could just put them all in one pile with the headline that says small. Things that are going to work themselves out anyways. Right? And if I could speak for God for just a minute, if you would allow me to do that, it's as if God says, let's just pile up all that stuff and let's be honest here for a minute. If I didn't answer any of those prayers, wouldn't most of those things just kind of work out anyways? Yeah. Do you really want to spend another year of your life coming to me with just that stuff? Or is there anything that just gets a hold of your heart that's just so big that you begin to pray for it, and you're praying, and you're saying, God, if you don't, it won't. God, if you don't do this, it ain't going to happen. And I'm not going to go away until I see you do something about it. Or is your entire prayer life, well, God, help me, and God, bless me, God, give me, God, thank you for this day. What a beautiful day it is outside. God, thank you for this day. Give me sweet dreams. And, and on and on and on we go. And I think I remembered everything. Amen. Right? Is that your prayer life? And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for those things. I'm not putting you down for that. But if you're not praying for anything that is big, then here's what I want you to know. I want you to make a decision this year to grab onto something that is so much bigger than you. I mean, looking at your family, a lot of us here, we have kids. And maybe your kids are not wanting to have a relationship with God. Or maybe you had a child who was a follower of Jesus and he walked away. What is it that you want to see happen that's big? Something that's completely out of your control, but you're going to ask God to do it. What about your marriage? 
I mean, what do you want to see God do that is big? Do you really want to spend another year of your life praying about little stuff and, and, and just decide that you're going to be relentless in your prayer until God hears from you and he responds to what you're asking him to do? You got anything that big? You got anything that big? And the truth is that God is not bothered by that. God is honored by that. He's not bothered by it. He's honored by it. If you're... Are you asking God for anything that honors how big and powerful he is? Or do you just spend your time asking him for things that are just going to work out anyways? I mean, what would it be like to spend a whole year asking for something so much bigger and so much greater than you that you actually would need God to do something about it? I'm talking about something that's so big that it's intimidating that you're afraid to ask God to do it. I'm talking about something that's so big that it just twists your faith to the point where you're not even sure you should keep praying about it. What are you asking for that is big? So today I want to take you to a verse where Jesus is teaching his disciples on prayer. And as he's teaching them, he begins to tell them a story, as Jesus usually does, right? He tells them a story. And what's so cool is that Jesus could have said anything that he wanted about prayer. This is his chance to say whatever he wants to say. But what he says it's so weird. And it's actually a little uncomfortable. So why don't we go ahead and look at that? It's in Luke 11. Luke 11, keeping track of time here. Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus, as he's telling them the story, here's the story. He's about to get into it. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend. Anybody have any friends today? Hopefully. <laughs> Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friends, Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Jesus says, here's the situation. I want you to imagine that you have a friend, and he goes to a friend in the middle of the night, and he bangs on the door, and he says, um, could you please give me some bread? Some people have unexpectedly showed up at my house and I have nothing to feed them. Could you give me some bread? Now, really, just take a time out here for a second. How mad would you be, right? Open your door like, dude, get out of here, okay? I'm not giving you bread. You know what time it is, right? And of course, this guy is sitting here thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to give up. Get up and give him some bread. It's in the middle of the night. And you need to understand how they slept back then. Because most houses during this time actually just had one big sleeping room where everybody would sleep in a row. And everybody shared a blanket to keep each other warm. And so there was no way you could just stay up after everyone else that went, after they went to bed. Because everybody went to bed at the same time and everybody woke up at the same time. You couldn't just like get up and wander around and just be quiet. You were either all in or all out. Right? You either get up or you stay asleep, and you just wait there and hold it for a while, right? <laughs> so this guy's banging on the door. He's saying, I have some friends that need some bread. Would you get up and give me some bread? And the guy's in laying in bed. He's going, are you serious? I'm not going to get up. I can't get up and give you bread. If I get up, then everybody else in my family has to get up. In fact, he says it this way. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. 
And you need to understand that a parable, you guys know what a parable is? A parable is a story that Jesus would tell to make a point. Okay? So when you read a parable, somebody in the story always represents you and me. And somebody in the story always represents God. So who's who in this story? Well, we're talking about prayer. So the person in the story that represents us is the guy that's asking for bread, right? That's kind of like prayer. You're asking for something. What? Then who's God? That means that God is the guy that's asleep. And he's telling you, don't bother me. I don't want to get up. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound so encouraging, right? I don't know if that's the God that I want to pray to. Don't bother me. I'm asleep, right? And so Jesus presents God as a person who's asleep, who doesn't want to get bothered to help somebody who he considers to be a friend. Look at what he says next. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, he ain't going to get up because of your friend. He's not going to do that. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus says, you know what? This guy isn't going to get up and wake up his whole family just because you're his friend. It ain't going to happen. It's kind of discouraging. The only thing that's going to happen, the only way this is going to get done The only way he's going to get out of bed and wake up his whole family is because you're not going to go away. Because you won't go away. This guy wasn't going to go away because he was so shamelessly bold. Hey, I know you're in there. I could see you through the crack. I know you're in there. Give me some bread. His boldness, his persistence, his shamelessness is what finally drives the guy to get up, wake up the family, find the bread, unlock the door, give him the bread, get out of here, and go back to sleep. And then listen to what he he tells us as he's telling us what he means. He says, so I say to you. Oh, I skipped a part. Anyways, so I ask, so he said to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Three words, ask, seek, knock. Can you say that with me? Ask, seek, and knock. If I think that God is going to do a miracle, if I think that God is going to do something big in my life like a magic trick, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. And so are you. It's as if God is saying, you want me to get up and do something? Then you've got to knock. You have got to knock. Faith is not just asking God for something, but it's being willing to knock on the door in preparation for him to open the door. You see, faith requires action. This means you've got to get up when it's inconvenient, when you don't want to, and knock the door. And if you don't get anything else out of what I'm talking about, I want you to know that God wants to do something big in your life. But you got to knock. You've got to do something. And just keep coming and coming because everyone who asks and seeks and knocks and everyone who asks and seeks and knocks, they are the ones that are going to receive. And to him who knocks and knocks and knocks and says, I know you're in there. God, don't you ignore me. I know 
that you're in there. You just keep going at God until he finally opens that door. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it should. It should, because most of us don't pray prayers like that. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that doesn't like to inconvenience people, right? I'm at a restaurant, and, you know, maybe the, the waiter or the waitress forgets something, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't want to make a big deal. I want to make their job as easy as possible, right? I don't like that tension. I really try to run away from it, really. And, you know, I'll go to the store to return some clothing, and, you know, they're not going to give me back the cash. They want to give me store credit. Whatever. It's all good. I'm going to take it. I don't want to make your job any harder. You see, my mom is not like that, though. My mom's not like that. And I'm pretty sure most of the moms in this room are not like that, right? I can remember going to stores and going, Mom, I could tell, you know, because the person had excellent customer service skills and they were being, you know, had an attitude, right? And I could tell, I'm looking at my mom, I'm going, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And she starts to get an attitude and I'm going, Mom, just like, Mom, let it go. It's all good. It's all good. She's good. No, this is their job. This is their job. This is their job. They, this is what they're supposed to do. And I'm going, I'm out of here. Peace out. I'm like, I don't want to be around that, right? But when you read the Bible, people like Abraham, Moses, and David came after God and they said things like, God, you better not ignore me. You better not ignore me. God, you've got to do this because you've promised and you've got to keep your promises. And God honored their persistence and their boldness because God was like, finally somebody has asked me to do something that is so worth my effort because I'm God. It's so big that I need to do something about this. Finally someone asked me something that is big and they were bold and they were persistent. They were shamelessly audacious. And they didn't let the fact that I didn't get up immediately and open the door discourage them. They decided, God, I'm coming after you over and over. I ain't going away. So you might as well open that door. I'm not going away. And Jesus says, you know what? God's not annoyed by that kind of prayer. He's honored by that kind of prayer. And often he will answer that kind of prayer. As I, as I close out here, um, when I was in high school, and I've shared this many times, uh, when I was a junior, I decided, uh, at that point, I had you know, decided that I wanted Jesus to be my Lord, and, and I was following him. But I got to a point where I, I didn't want to do that anymore. And, and it was actually not just me, but there was a lot of people in our student ministry that made the same choice that I made. And um, we just kind of got to a place. We didn't, this is not what we wanted to do anymore. And so we decided that I want to leave my relationship. That's what I made the decision to do. I don't want to be a disciple. I don't want to follow him. And during that time, as, as hard it was as it was in our family, one of the amazing things that, developed during that time was that my parents, along with other parents of teens, of high school students, started meeting on a weekly basis and praying together for us. And they would pray. And they would pray. And it seems like the more they would pray, the farther I would get away from God. The more that they would pray, the more bad decisions I would make. But they didn't stop praying. And they kept praying those prayers. And I believe that, a big part of me believes that where I'm at today is due to those prayers that just would not give up. They just kept knocking. And all of that, you know, to see some of these people who are leading ministries in other churches, 
the parents that were praying in that group, their kids are doing amazing things too. And it's so incredible to see how God used those prayers. Are you praying like that? Is it really that surprising that so little happens in your life? Is it really so shocking that so little happens in our church at times? What are you asking for that is big? And let me assure you, God wants you to ask him something big. He does. Don't spend another year praying about that stuff that almost doesn't really matter anyways. Because it's going to happen. What are you going to ask and ask and ask and knock and knock and keep knocking and keep seeking for this year? And if you don't have anything, I want to encourage you to spend 10 minutes and think about it. Spend 30 minutes and think about it. And if you don't know, I want you to just ask God to put something on your heart that's so big. Think about your family. Think about your kids. Think about your marriage. Think about the impact that you want to have someday. You want to go lead a mission somewhere? What do you want to do? What do you want to do here right now? Would you honor God with the size of your requests? Would you ask big? And so, what are you going to pray for this year that is so big that it moves God to do something? I mean, imagine what this church would look like with a bunch of shamelessly audacious people who do not go away. They just keep asking and they keep knocking and they keep seeking until God opens the door. Let me go ahead and pray for our communion at this time. God, thank you so much. Uh, I know you're not just the guy that's asleep and doesn't want to answer our prayers. I, I know, God, that you want to do something. But you want us to take a step out of our everyday little stuff and ask for something big. And that's an easy prayer, that's an easy thing to say, but it's something different when we're going from day to day. Help us to have the shameless audacity, the boldness, and the persistence to keep knocking. And I'm not going to go away until I see you do something big this year. I don't want to see just a normal year this year. I'm tired of normal years. God, I want to see something big happen. And as we have communion right now, help us to focus on Jesus God, thank you for his heart. Thank you for the way he breaks things down. And he's funny. God, I'm grateful for Jesus. I w I'm grateful for the way he teaches us to pray big. God, we love you so much. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
Uh, church, we have, uh, we're going to do one song really quick, and then uh, we're going to get into our last speaker for the uh, morning. You guys want to stand up? Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain from beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love marries me.
You guys still, you still awake out there? You gonna make it? All right, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Where are you gonna go to church today and hear three lessons for the price of one? Where, where are you gonna get that? Okay, only, only here. And uh, the reason we don't do this every Sunday, if you're a guest here, you go, man, I will never come back to this church. You know, I will never be back here. No, we do this once a year, and it's, it's our kickoff. It's our kickoff service, and we need this because we, we want to start the year off right. We, we don't want to have a mediocre year. We don't want to have, you know, as you saw in the video before, a year where we're like, we're afraid, and I just want to survive this year. No, we don't want to do that. You don't want to do that, and God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to have an incredible year, right? And, and let last year be last year, okay? We're done with last year. If it was good for you, good for you, but it wasn't good for me. This year is going to be a great year. Why? Because what you saw. God is good. And he takes care of us. Anybody want to know the score of the game? You guys in here, I know you. I know some of you guys. You want to know or are you recording it? You don't want me to tell you. Don't say anything, right? Keep quiet. It's, it's good, though. It's good. All right. So let me get on with the lesson, okay, because we got to go. There's some angry guys in here, and they're looking at their watches. I promise you, you will be out of here at 1130, okay? So just check that. I promise you. Okay, and when's the last time you spent this much time really nurturing what you need, right? Okay, so this is our theme for the year, stepping out. Get out of the boat, and we're going to look at this. We're going to spend a little time today, but later in the year, we're going to spend a lot more time on this. And I want to share this kind of, you know, me and my story. I, I've been a minister for 26 years. I've been doing this a long time. And I've been doing it a certain way for a long time. Three years ago, I decided, you know what? I've been doing it the same way, and I'm, I'm expecting things to be different, but they're not. You know, when you do the same thing over and over again, and you expect them to, to turn out different, what does that tell you? You're going crazy. And I was going crazy because I really wanted to see God work, but I was doing the same things. And so I realized, you know what? I got to do things differently. I got to change things. And I don't know if you can relate, but three years ago, we decided as a church, we're going to do things differently because we want to see things differently. We want to see God work in a different way. We want to see God work in a more powerful way because he wasn't. And that's my story. Now, let me, let me relate it to you. Maybe you're in the situation in your life where you keep stumbling over the same things. You keep making the same mistakes. Things keep failing, and, and you keep, you, keep you know, ruining and hurting people and, and, and doing the things that you don't want to do. You can relate. And my, my advice to you is, as I had to take my own advice, is if you want to see things differently in your life, then you've got to do things differently. You've got to change, and you've got to get out of the boat. We're going to look at a story today. I love this story. It's, 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 it's so inspiring because what we're going to see is we're going to look at Peter, one of the followers of Jesus. He did one of the most incredible things is he got out of the boat. And so if you want to know what the end of what I'm going to say, and I appreciate Chris that came before me, talked about vision. It's, it's great to have vision. You know, and, and I want to do this, and I see this, and it's great to have faith, as Mike talked about, and, and to have faith with prayer. But let me tell you, vision 
and faith and prayer, if you're not going to step out of the boat and you're not going to move your life from here to here, you will go nowhere. And so today I'm going to challenge you to get out of your boat. So what's my boat? I'll help you. I promise. But I'm going to challenge you to get out of the boat. My boat, as I explained to you, I've been doing ministry the same way for a long time. And I said, you know what, i got to get out of the boat. And that's my commitment this year. I'm going to get out of the boat. We are going to try different things. We may fail. We may fall. We may make mistakes. But we will not stay the same. Because there's too much at stake. Our children are at stake. There's marriages and families at stake. And we want to see God work in an incredible way. Last year we took a risk. We said we're going to split our services. We're going to have three services instead of two. And it made people feel, oh, no, what about our college students? We're going to miss them. And where's the energy level? And, and our singles, they're not going to be here. And, and it's been an amazing ride to see that, you know, we moved our service to 530, and there's been people that have been saved and whose lives have been changed. People have traveled from the Inland Empire because they work on Sunday morning and they find a refuge because there's a service where they can go and hear the Word of God Amen. at 530. And we saw, you know, we started off the service... And I got to share with you guys, I got to share with you guys because the service started off a little weak. And we started last year, it was like, uh, you know, a few people here, you know, it was like maybe a few, you know, people here, a few people here, and it was weak. And, and we just prayed, and we said, no, we're going we're gonna to do this, and God's going to work. And now there's close to 140 people every Sunday. You know, the, the front section's almost getting full here. And it was a stretch, but why do we do that? To get out of our boat. So that more people can receive help. So let's get into the story. We all need to step out. And that's my encouragement to you this, this year is that you'll step out of your boat. Today we're going to look. And, and, you know, we looked at that video. We talked about storms, right? And sometimes we think we're going through a storm. Listen, you, you don't know what storms are yet. Neither do I. Because sometimes we think, man, I'm going through a storm. I'm going through a really hard time. Listen. There's somebody here today that just has finished going through an incredible storm, and I want to lift her up because she's been a warrior, she's been a, a trooper, and I want to lift up my sister Lily because she has been a rock and she's been awesome. So just want to encourage you. This, this woman has been through, she has been through a storm. New Year's, her husband got admitted into the you know, emergency room and, and then went into ICU, and he almost died. 38-year-old Rudy, our brother, he almost died. He was on a respirator and had tubes and everything, and it was scary. It was scary. And I just appreciate, you know, she, she has weathered this storm, and today Rudy got released into, from the ICU. He's going into a regular room. Go, God. You're awesome. So... If you think you're going through a storm, I want you to go talk to Lily as you're on your way out. You say, sister, help me, because I think my situation's a little tough. And there's others of you. You've been through storms. And sometimes God allows us to go through storms. Right? And I don't know what this year holds for you. Maybe there's a storm. And, and, but you've got to understand, God is going to use the storm to change you. And to change the people. And I can't wait to have Rudy come up here and give his testimony. And, and tell us what God talked to him and, and showed him through his storm. And she's ready. She could get up here and share some things, but we'll give her a little time. So let's look at the passage. Matthew chapter 14, in verse 22. And Jesus went through storms. you got to understand, when we look at this passage, 
Jesus was going through a storm himself. And I'll share with you, but let's, let's look at what it says here. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he had dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to, or by himself, to do what? You know why he prayed? Because his cousin just got decapitated. And he was feeling it. Here's a guy who dedicated his whole life to God. He wore, he wore camel's hair. He ate, you know, honey and locusts. I mean, this guy was radical. He was a prophet. He abstained. He protested against the religious establishment. And he showed you can depend on God 100% and live in the wilderness. And he preached a radical message. He said, repent of all your sins. He told the soldiers, stop taking money from the people. He told Herod, the king, he said, you have married your brother's wife, and what you're doing is wrong and sinful. Whoa. Do you know how John the Baptist died? John the Baptist, the prophet, a teenager got up and did a little dance and aroused her king father. And he said, he was drunk, and he said, I'll give you whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. And because he was drunk and because she's a teenager, she said, my mom wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And because he was in front of his guests, he had to do it. What a, what a horrible ending to an incredible life. And Jesus was feeling that. And it was a foreshadowing of his own death because he says, if that's the way John the Baptist was, preached, was, was, was treated here on this planet amongst us, how are they going to treat me? So he was feeling it. And Jesus gave and gave and gave. Right before this, he fed 5,000 men and their women and children, not counting them. He just gave and gave, but he said, time out, guys. I need some time with God because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a storm. And he sends them out, and he sends them out immediately. And where did he send them out? Into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it's about five to six miles across. And Jesus knew, here's the interesting thing is, he knew they were going into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and there was going to be a storm. See, God sometimes knows there's a storm coming for you and he will send you into it because he wants to change you. We read on. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. The other Gospels, John tells us that it was a storm. It was, it was very violent. The waves were violent. Mark tells us the same thing, the Gospel of Mark that it was intense. Three in the morning, more or less, these guys were out in the middle, about three miles out. From three to six a.m., they were out, about three miles out, and they weren't making any headway. They're in the middle of the lake, and it's rough. And the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, some of you go, I don't know if I believe that. Now, I want you to understand, the reason you need to believe this is because Jesus was the Son of God. 
He doesn't play by the rules that you and I play by. You cannot walk on water. It's, it's a physical impossibility. But see, Jesus doesn't play by the rules of physics. He's the son of God. Just like God doesn't play with the rules that we play by. But the amazing thing is we're going to see that God can allow us to break the rules or bend the rules too. So Jesus is walking down the water, and they were terrified. They saw him, and, and what, the, what, the, what they believed at this time was that in the middle of the lake at night, in the middle of the night, there were demons and ghosts and all kinds of crazy things that happened. It's like, for us, it would be like a haunted house. That's what they believed happened in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night. So they were scared. They were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear, not in faith. They cried out in fear. I need somebody to help me, okay? Who can help me? What would it be like if you saw a ghost in the middle of the night, in the middle of a lake, pitch black? What, what, what would you say? Okay. How about, oh, sweet Jesus, I'm scared to death. That was close. It was close. And you know what? I appreciate we needed somebody African-American to bring the emotion and the feeling. Because some of you, you know, I don't know, you wouldn't bring it. But you would if you were here. You would say, oh, sweet Jesus, there's a ghost. Save me. Right? That's what they did. They were screaming out in fear. But Jesus, Jesus immediately, a lot, of the, a lot of immediately, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. This word right here, these few words, it is I, when Jesus said this, it references back, it references back to Exodus chapter 4 where God introduced himself to Moses. And you know how he said, Moses said, well, what do I tell the people? Who are you? What, what's your name? You know what God told him? I am. That's my name. So when Jesus says, it is I, it's the same phrase. It's the same way. I am. It is I. So don't be afraid. And then... He goes on, and I love this part. Peter sees Jesus out there in the lake, and look what Peter says. Lord, if it's you, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, if you were Peter, and you're in the middle of a storm, and you are, you're feeling it, what would you ask him to tell you to come to him? I would not do that. You know what I would say? I would say, Lord, stop the storm and bring us to shore right now. <laughs> but you've got to admire Peter because Peter didn't ask him a request. He said, I want you to command me. I want you to command me to come out to you. I mean, I love that about Peter. He's crazy. He's crazy smart. Because here's the point. The only way you're going to find out is to step out. And some of you guys are living your lives. What about the other 11 guys that are, that are there? Did they ask to step out of the boat? And they never did. But Peter was the only one. He's a true follower of Jesus. 
Because as I want to do what you do, Jesus, I want to walk on water like you do. Because if you can do it, I believe you're calling me. He got the message. You're not calling me to live a mediocre life. You're not calling me to live a life just like everybody else around me. You're calling me to live a life outside of the norm. And he got out. And you can imagine his, his friends. But I want to say this to you. This year in 2014, if you want to see things differently, you got to get out of the boat. The only way you will know and the way, only way you will find out is if you step out. And maybe that means a group of friends that you're hanging with. Maybe that's, maybe that's your job. Maybe that's your, your comfort zone. But some of you are stuck. You've been, you've been doing the same things. You've been practicing the same things. Well, yeah, you've made a little elevation, a little change here. But I'm saying change, significant change in your life. And people around you are depending on it. The only way you're going to find out is to step out. And what did Jesus tell him? Come on, Peter. Come on. Come to me. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. This is awesome. People don't do this. And you know what I like about this? This isn't Peter's version. This is Matthew's version. Peter's version was the gospel of Mark, and he didn't even mention the Mark walking on the water part. Isn't that interesting? Peter left it out on purpose. But Matthew said, no, I cannot not tell this story. i got to tell this story. And he walked out. Now, i got to share this little story because this is important. A couple years ago, we went to man camp. How many of you remember that? Two years ago, remember? We went to man camp, and they had this thing we called the leap of faith. And you go up on top of a telephone pole about 20, 30 feet. And this is, this is me up there, and they have a platform. And let me just sit, share this. There were some really manly men. Manly, manly men. <laughs> but when they got up on this thing... They changed. <laughs> Some of them didn't even go up on the pole. They said, well, I'm afraid of heights. No, you're just scared. And I was a little nervous, I got to admit it. But I said, I'm going to do this because it's called the leap of faith. I can't not jump on the leap of faith. And so it's about 20, 30 feet high, and we're up there, and you're on this platform, and you're standing, and there's this bell right here. You see this bell, and you've got you've to jump out. You've got to jump out about, you know, seven feet, and it's a pure leap, and you've got you to extend it, full extension, like this, like that. See the distance? You've got, you got to leave the platform. You can't just, no, you've got to jump out at it. It was crazy. And I saw guys, there was guys back here when they were on this part, we, were, we, had, to, we had to coax them into jumping. <laughs> like, no, come on, dude, you got this. Grown men. Not teenagers or preteens. No, te- there were some preteens and teens, they would just go. Wouldn't even think about it. But they were grown men. Fathers of children. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What, why would I do something crazy like this? 
I had a harness. <laughs> but the harness was attached to a cable, and there was a brother down below holding the cable. So I had to have faith in the harness, and I had to have faith in the brother that was holding the end of the cable. And if I had faith in the harness and I had faith in the cable holder, it's all going to be good. Because if not, someone's going to get hurt. Why did Peter, why did Peter step out of the boat? Because he had a harness. He had a harness and he had a cable holder. Why aren't you stepping out of the boat? Because you don't believe in the harness and you don't believe in the cable holder. And you're scared. Everybody's scared. But you've got to believe in the harness. And look what it says here. When he saw the wind and the waves, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. Now, if Jesus told him to come, do you think Jesus knew that he might not succeed? Absolutely. God knows sometimes when we step out, we're not going to succeed. But look at this. Look at this. This is awesome. Immediately. Immediately. How long did Jesus wait to save Peter? Now, some of you might think, well, Jesus may have just walked over and held Peter underwater for a little while. They're about 30 seconds. Now, I want you guys to pay attention here because when you walk out on the water and you're not ready and you don't have faith, this is what happens. Some of you believe God's like that. You don't think that Jesus and God are ready to save you and help you immediately. You're thinking he's going to hold me under for about 30 seconds. Because he's mean. He wants to make a point. Jesus, I believe that Jesus grabbed them before the water got waist high. It was immediate. He had a harness. He had a cable holder. You and I need to have faith that Jesus, God, is going to see us through. And therefore, we can step out on faith. We can do that. And he reached out his hand and he caught him. And then look at this. He says, here, you a little faith, why did you doubt? Now, a lot of ministers bash on Peter with these words. They bash on Peter. They say, Peter, why did you a little faith? Now, there's another passage where Jesus was going through the villages and he was doing miracles but in these particular villages, he could do no miracles. Do you know why? They had no faith. Now, Peter had not enough faith. That didn't mean he didn't have any faith. He had not enough faith. How many of those other characters got out of the boat? Did John get out of the boat? Did James get out of the boat? But Peter did. But what does this tell you? He didn't have enough. And there are going to be times where you don't have enough. And that's okay. I don't want, because you don't have enough faith, I don't want you not to take a step out on faith. And some of you are studying the Bible and you're thinking about your decision. Hey, listen, everybody who's doing this in a serious way is going to be afraid. And that's okay. I was terrified when I got baptized, I was scared. He said, I don't want to fail. You will fail. You will fall. Okay? Everybody does. This year, some of you are going to fail. Some of you are going to fall. And that's okay because you have a harness and you have Jesus who immediately will help you up. 
And so what's the story about? Peter didn't have enough faith? No, that's not what the story about is about. Here's, here's what the story about. And sorry for the gap, but here's the question. What, does your, what, what stops your faith? Why does your faith stop? See, because it's not enough if you have this much faith or this much faith. It's about this much faith. Do you have faith that will last? Meaning that you're going to finish strong. That's what's important. It's not how you start. And it's not whether you go underwater a little bit and then Jesus got to pull you up out. It's whether you finish. Now later on, Peter denied Jesus. He failed again. And Peter failed a lot. But he finished. And that's what we got to ask ourselves. So let's wrap it up. And here's a great passage. We'll skip it because we got to finish on time, I promise. And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat with, worshipped him. And they were saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, in Mark's gospel, who Peter told Mark how to write the gospel. It was the gospel according to Peter that Mark wrote it. See, because Mark wasn't one of the apostles. But a lot of the scholars and teachers, they believe that what the, where Mark got all of his information was from Peter. Interesting thing is, Peter never mentions the walking on the water. Now, if you were Peter, wouldn't you want to tell that story? Why did he leave it out? No? It's not the point. See, whether Peter walked on the water... Whether we fall or whether we succeed is not the point. What's the point? This is the point. This is the point to our lives. Truly, you are the son of God. That's all that matters. Understand this. This year, whether you succeed, whether you fail, whether you fall, no matter what happens, what really matters is that Jesus is the son of God. And if you want to give that testimony, if you want people to know who Jesus is, then step out. And you may fail. You may fall. This story is actually really about the grace of God, that when we fall, Jesus is going to pull us out. So why did Peter leave out the story about him walking on the water? Because let me tell you, he wasn't ashamed. I wouldn't be ashamed. I got out. I did this. I walked with Jesus. And when they went back to the boat, do you think he was just kind of hanging on to Jesus? No, he walked back with Jesus. They finished the walk. Jesus got him up. Okay, now let's walk. I'm with you now. And they walked back to the boat. Wouldn't you want to tell that story? He didn't tell the story. Why? Because this is the whole point. You know what's the point of our whole life? Everything we do. You know how it breaks down? Jesus is the son of God. What if we do, if we succeed, you know, if, we, if, we, if our church goes, you know, to just, just to helping a lot of people and, and young people and, and incredible things, it's not about us. Jesus is the Son of God. That's it. Let's wrap this up. And then the Peter talks about these failures, and these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith is greater worth than gold, which is perishes even though refined, may result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's not about us. So that's why you can't be afraid this year to step out. Because it's not about you. 
Whether you fail or succeed, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Even in your failure, you can glorify God. Now, don't make the plan to fail, but it works. Now, let's, let's, let's wrap it up. I got four things for you. Number one is, what's your boat? Identify your boat. If you need some help with this, talk to people around you. Some of you are in a boat of comfortability. You have been in it. You're not doing anything for God. You are comfortable. You are set in your ways. And you get here late because it really doesn't matter whether you're here or not. In your mind, it matters to me and it matters to God. But you're too comfortable. You're too set in your ways. And I'm talking about our members. Yes, you come late. You come whenever you want. Just come if you're a guest. But if you're a member... Because you're set. You've got your routine. You're not stepping out. You're not doing anything different. Identify your boat and then get out of it. Deal with your fears. So I'm not afraid because you're not doing anything that causes any fear. It's the same old, same old. You're not trying anything outside of your comfort zone. And then number two, make a plan to step out. Talk to people. Get a plan. And then number three is be accountable to somebody. Be accountable to somebody. Here's what I'm going to do this year. And then the last thing is don't be afraid of failure. So what? we got to live this life knowing that we have a harness. And when you live is when you leap. And when you try things outside of your, your normal comfort zone, that's what gets the blood going, guys. You know what I mean? Be men, brothers. Be men and do things outside of your comfort zone so that the adrenaline can start flowing and the heartbeat can start going. Amen? Amen. So that's all I have. Let's pray together. You're all dismissed. Have a great rest of this week. We'll look forward to seeing you next week for our new series that we're going to be starting called The Circle Maker. Okay, but I pray that God will bless you and that you will step out. This will be your year for God to do some amazing, amazing things. Let's pray together.